Well, this morning, if you would, I would like you to take your Bibles and turn to the New Testament book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 4, and our text this morning will be Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. But what I'm going to have you do is I'm just going to have you hold your place there, and I have an important announcement to make for our church family, and that is in 2019... The leadership of the church has decided after a great deal of discussion and talking this through and praying about it that we want to put an even greater emphasis on biblical church membership. So, starting next year, we're going to have two significant times where people can join our church. The first one will be in June. The second Sunday night of June, we will have a baptism membership service. And then the second one will be at the end of October, the last Sunday night of October in the evening service, we will have a baptism membership service. The big change is this. Preceding both of those times, we are developing a brand new four-part membership class that will run for four weeks. So, in April, during the Sunday school hour, there will be four different classes, really four parts of one big membership class, all four Sundays. And the first class will be what we believe. You will come and you will hear what we believe with the greatest emphasis on the authority of Scripture in our church. The second week, the class will be the biblical importance of baptism, the Lord's Supper, and church membership. Why are these things important to us as a church? The third week, you will come and there will be a class on how to develop and share a salvation testimony. We will work through you or with you at that time, work it through with you, your salvation testimony, how to prepare that testimony, not only to share it with the congregation, but how to share it with other people. And then the fourth week will be called Meet the Pastors and Get to Know the Ministries of the Church. You will get to meet and talk to the four pastors of the church and also learn about all the ministry opportunities available at First Baptist Church. Then in September, the last three Sundays of September and the first Sunday of October, because the first Sunday in September is Labor Day weekend, we will do the same class all over again. So it will be the four-week class, baptism membership service. The four-week class, baptism membership service. Twice a year, we will do that. Now, if you want to join our church, you have to take the four parts of the class. You have to take all four classes. However, Maybe you're kind of on the fence, you're not sure, you might like to join our church, but you'd like to hear more, you are welcome also to take that class. So you have to take the class to join the church, but the classes do not obligate you to join if you're still not ready at the end of that class time. So you'll be hearing a lot more about this 
after the start of next year, but I just wanted to introduce it on a Sunday morning and let you know about it. We're excited about it. We believe that church membership is important, and we believe that we have a responsibility to do more to help people to understand why this is important and what the Bible teaches about it. Okay, at this time we're going to go to our message, and if you're visiting with us this morning, this is the third part of a five-part series that I have entitled, How the Christmas Story Displays God's Heart for the Nations. We're taking just a little different angle, a little different view on the Christmas story and showing how when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, not only did he come to provide for our salvation, for your salvation and my salvation, but he came to spread the glory of God to all the nations, to see people from all people groups come to know him as Savior. And the text I've chosen for this third part is Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, where the Apostle Paul writes, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Well, our first point this morning is the fullness of time. The term, when the fullness of time had come, refers to the completion of the period of preparation in God's sovereign timetable of redemption. Fullness of time is a rich phrase. The word picture associated with the fullness of time is pregnancy. A woman has gone through all nine months and is now ready to deliver. And so God had been preparing the whole world for the coming of his son. And now, and now the time was full. The time had come for the Messiah to be born. God was preparing the world for the coming of his son. The law, the law of Moses found in the Old Testament had fully accomplished its purpose of showing mankind their utter sinfulness and inability to live up to God's perfect standard of righteousness. The law was never meant to save us. It was meant to show us our inability to live up to God's righteous standards. The law itself is good and holy, and righteous. But in our flesh, in our own strength, we are unable to keep all the provisions of the law. So God was about to usher in a whole new era. God was about to provide the righteousness for man that man could not provide for himself. When Jesus was born, everything was right for the coming of the Messiah. God had so prepared the world for his son that the time was just right religiously, culturally, and politically. Now, if you've been in a church, and I know not all of you have, if you've been in a Bible teaching church most of your life, you may have heard some of these things before, but I want to go over them with you again because they're always so important. First of all, the time 
was just right religiously during the Babylonian captivity when the nation of Israel had been taken captive by the Babylonians and gone into exile because of their sin and idolatry. The Babylonian cap- or during the Babylonian captivity, Israel had finally been cleansed of its idolatry, which it had fallen into over and over again in the Old Testament. As you read through the Old Testament, you see the people of God worshiping idols and bowing before them. And it took this captivity, this exile for God to cleanse his people of this. Also, during the time of the exile is when the Jewish synagogue system was formed. And these synagogues would play a key role when Jesus comes into the world. He would teach in synagogue after synagogue after synagogue. And subsequently, the apostles would spread the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, by often going to the synagogues and preaching in them. In addition to that, Israel had finally completed what we now term today the Old Testament. Ezra and others who had come from Babylon back to Israel had put in the labor. Ezra was a scribe. They had put in the labor and work that it took to complete the Old Testament. And all of these things, all of these things facilitated the proclaiming of the Messiah's gospel among the people of Israel. So everything was right religiously. Second, the time was just right culturally. The early Christians who began to spread the gospel had a common language with those to whom they would now witness. Alexander the Great, when he conquered the known world, had thoroughly established the Greek culture and language throughout what was the known world at that time. And then this was continued when the Rome, excuse me, when the Romans succeeded the Greeks as the great world empire all throughout the Roman Empire. They had this common culture and this common language. Certainly there were subgroups of people who still spoke different languages, but the trade culture and the trade language throughout the Roman Empire was the Greek culture and the Greek language, which most all of the people knew and facilitated the spread of the gospel. And I'm always amazed at how God, unbeknownst to them, used secular people to bring about the fullness of time. So the time was just right religiously. It was just right culturally. And the time, number three, the time was just right politically. Rome had instituted what was known as the famous Pax Romana, the Roman peace, which provided economic and political stability at least for a period of time. And the apostles and the other early preachers of the gospel could travel freely and safely throughout the whole Roman empire. And they traveled on the magnificent road system developed by the Romans. For all their faults, the Romans had developed a 
stable political system, a stable road system, a stable culture, a stable language. And so all of this was just right for the coming of the chosen one, the coming of the Savior into the world. But there's one other thing that I want to point out. And it has everything to do with this series that we are going through. The time was just right for the gospel to go to the Gentiles. And those who would receive the gospel by faith, by faith alone, would actually become the spiritual children of Abraham. Promise made to Abraham way back in the book of Genesis, in the fullness of time. God was fulfilling his great promise to Abraham, in you shall all the nations be blessed. What I want you to do is we're going to turn back one chapter, whether you have a paper Bible or an electronic device this morning, I want you to just go back one chapter to Galatians chapter 3. And I want you to see something with me. We'll spend just a little bit of time on this, but it has everything to do with chapter 4. In Galatians chapter 3, in verses 7 through 9, we read this. Know then, that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you, in you, Abraham, all the nations Or shall all the nations be blessed? So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Again, in the first part of verse 8, it says this, And the scripture, the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. The scripture looking way forward into the future saw that God was going to justify, going to bring salvation to the Gentiles. Look at verses 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Now watch this. So that in Christ Jesus, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promise, spirit through faith. Notice that spirit is capitalized again. As I've said so many times, that means the Holy Spirit when it's a capital S. Now look at verse 16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many but referring to one and to your offspring who is Christ. This is an amazing example of the New Testament commenting on and fully interpreting the Old Testament. Scripture interpreting Scripture. It said that the promise was made to Abraham and his offspring, but offspring is not plural. It is singular. It does not say, and to offsprings, 
referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring who is Christ. Now stay with me this morning. On that night in Bethlehem, the offspring of Abraham was born. Do you see that this morning? On that night in Bethlehem, the offspring of Abraham was born. Through you and your offspring shall all the nations be blessed. How would this come about? Well, Paul tells us, that's our second point, God sent his son. At just the right time, God sent forth his son, born of woman. But when the fullness of time had come, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman. Now, when Paul says that Jesus was born of woman, he is not here referring to the virgin birth as critical and as important And crucial, the virgin birth is. But that's not Paul's emphasis here. He is emphasizing Jesus' complete humanity. Jesus was going to be fully man and fully God at the very same time. Jesus was fully man, born of a woman like all other men, yet he was fully God. This is crucial to our salvation. We need to understand doctrine. We need to understand the essential teachings of the faith. If we were to be saved, if we were to have salvation, Jesus must be 100% man and 100% God all at the same time. He had to be fully God in order to atone for the sin of mankind, in order to make full atonement. But he had to be fully man in order to represent mankind and take the penalty of our sin upon him on the cross. For you see, it was man, it was us who had sinned and we were under the curse of God. So in order to be our substitute, the substitute for sinful men and women on the cross... He had, he had to become a man, fully man. God sent his son born of woman. Let me sum it up this way. Jesus had to be God to have the power of a savior and he had to be a man to have the position of a substitute. Let me say that again. Jesus had to be God to have the power of a savior and he had to be man to have the position of a substitute, to die in our place. Well, not only was Jesus born of a woman, but he was born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. The law that we could not keep. The perfect, holy, righteous law of God that in our own strength and in our flesh we could never live up to. We could never keep Jesus was born under the law. Like every other man, every other woman, Jesus was born under the law. Like every other Jew, he was under obligation to obey and be judged by conformity to God's law in the Old Testament. But here's the difference. Jesus could keep the law. 
And he did keep the law. And he kept it in perfect, spotless obedience. He satisfied all the righteous requirements of the law by living a perfect life, living in perfect obedience to the law. And because of his perfect obedience, he was able to redeem, to save the rest of us who were under the law but could not keep the law. And by placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, not only are you forgiven of all your sins, not only are you given a right relationship with God and guaranteed eternal life, but Christ's perfect obedience and righteousness is credited to you. It becomes yours. We call this the great doctrine of imputation. We have imputed righteousness. It's not ours. That's what it means. It came from somewhere else. It came from someone else. His righteousness, his perfect obedience became ours. Think through this with me. To redeem means to buy back a slave, to purchase his freedom. You take a, find a slave, you purchase him or her, you buy their freedom and they are set free. We were slaves to sin. God through Christ came and he redeemed us and he set us free from our sin. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. This is how Paul says it in Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Now watch this. In order that, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk according, excuse me, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, capital S, again. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, His son was born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. And then it says this, that Christ redeemed us from the law in order that we might receive adoption as sons. All of this happened so that we might... excuse me, receive adoption as sons and daughters of God. This is the great doctrine of adoption that is found throughout Scripture, but especially as it pertains to salvation in the New Testament. In the Roman world, a man could give the status of a son or a daughter to someone who is not his natural child. The Roman, or excuse me, in Rome... Adoption was an honored custom. It gave special dignity and family membership to those who were not born into a family. 
And this was especially important to those who were born orphans. Often a wealthy, childless man would adopt a young slave who would trade his slavery for the full rights and privileges of a son or a daughter. Imagine you were a slave and this wealthy person comes along and purchases you and you are given full rights and full privileges of a child in his family. We are not naturally the children of God. We can only become the sons and daughters of God through divine adoption. If you know Christ as your Savior this morning, you have been divinely adopted into the family of God with all of the rights and privileges of a child of God. And you can say with great humility, but great joy, I'm a child of God. Because of Jesus, because of his perfect righteousness that has become mine, I have been adopted into the family of God and I stand before you today. You sit there today as a child of God. What a privilege. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Born of woman, had to be born of woman. Born under the law, had to be born under the law. Why? To redeem those who were under the law. To purchase their freedom from sin. So that, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Literally adoption as sons and daughters. This whole passage, this whole passage is centered on the phrase when the fullness of time had come. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the time had come. As I shared with you in the very first message of this series, Jesus wasn't born a day early. He wasn't born a day late. He was born right on time. All of history... All of history prior to Bethlehem looks forward to the coming of the Son of God. All of history since then has looked back to the coming of the Son of God. In the infant of Bethlehem, mankind found his meaning, his hope, And most importantly, his salvation. From creation to redemption to everlasting life, in the center of it all is the person and work of Jesus Christ. He is the center of everything. I want to say for the third week in a row, That the birth of Christ, the birth of the Christ child in Bethlehem was not only for your salvation and my salvation, and it was, and praise God it was, 
But the birth of Christ had massive implications for the whole universe. Because through this baby, through the coming of the Messiah, God was going to spread his glory throughout the universe as the gospel would be taken to every people group in every part of the world. And people from those people groups would and will be saved. They will come to know Christ. They will become his worshipers. And they will spread his glory. And they will join with all of the saints who have ever lived and ever will live and with all of the angels in heaven and one day we will all gather together around the throne of the slain lamb and we will sing worthy is the lamb who was slain and the glory of God will fill the universe <laughs> it was all happening in Bethlehem it was all happening in Bethlehem on that night The long-awaited Messiah was born. And the world would never be the same again. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the coming of your Son. We thank you that in the fullness of time... At the perfect time, at just the right time, you brought our Savior into the world. We thank you for our salvation. And we thank you for the spread of your glory throughout the universe. We are so humbled and so grateful that you have allowed us to be a part of this. Not only in being saved, but in taking that gospel to the ends of the earth. Oh Lord, we are more grateful than we could ever express for the one born in Bethlehem in whose name we always pray. Amen.